Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. The Hood was raised in Texas, you know, most of his life, I reckon. And uh, he's told us, he said, we're going to have a, a southern song for y'all. And y'all tried. But you just couldn't put enough syllables into the word I. So uh, it, it's, it's a lot different here. Uh, I hope you can understand my English. But uh, if not, voy a empezar a hablar español y tal vez alguien me puede entender. Okay? Is that good? Is that all right? All right. Well, it's good to be with you. I am so thrilled to see my, my, old, my younger, long-time friend. Uh, I, 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 I could probably say, in fact, I'm, I'm quite certain there are a, uh, a quadruple of decades since we met. So even though Brother Brian is going to tell you he is infinitely younger than I, it, it was at least four decades ago that we met. And so uh, we, we grew up in the same fellowship of churches, same youth camp, and... Uh, I, I, I appreciate the ministry that he's involved. I don't like him very much because he's got a lot of hair. But, um, but I do appreciate the ministry in which he's involved. And I'm so glad to, to see him. Uh, of course, Brother Grant alluded to the fact that we know him. And uh, I've, I've got stories that I will sell. Uh, on, well, no, not really. I don't really have hardly any stories on Brother Grant. He, he was a good, solid young man. And uh, I, I appreciate his, his stand for the Lord, and uh, so good to see him and his family. I tried to convince them when baby number one was coming, you know, they, they didn't know what it was going to be. And, and uh, my name's David, my wife's name was LaDonna, and uh, I have two daughters, Tabitha and Lydia. So they didn't know, you know, if it's going to be boy, be girl. And so I said, look, I, I've, I've got a name for you to name your child. And they said, what is it? I said, Davana Tabidia. I've hawked that name and sold it way less than you've sold books. Nobody has taken it. Of course, it's a little fella that was born. But they didn't, they didn't bite when the little gal came. So uh, maybe baby number three will be Davana Tabidia. I don't know. But uh, I appreciate you, Pastor, for allowing me to come and giving me a second shot at being here. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, if he would have never asked me to come back, when I get to babysit that grandbaby, it is so much fun. Because I get to spoil, and, and then I get to send her home. And it's just a great thing. I'm looking forward to more years of that. But it, it's good to be with you all. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, I, I need Andrew and, and, and Levi and Ethan to come help me. Can y'all, you fellas come help me with something? Now, these, these are business cards, but, but we as missionaries, we like to call them prayer cards. And uh, most missionaries have prayer cards because they want you to... Ooh, that was a delayed response, brother. We, we want you to pray. One fellow said, you, what you need to do is put a magnet on them, stick them on the refrigerator, and tell Americans that they can't open the refrigerator unless they make a prayer. 
I'm, t- I'm telling you, we would be blessed people as missionaries if we could get Americans pray every time they open the refrigerator. I don't, I don't know what you're like, but I, sometimes I'll open the refrigerator and I don't find anything I like. Ten minutes later, I go back, I open the refrigerator as if something will have created itself. Most of the time, if it's created itself, you probably don't want to eat it. But uh, we want you to put these prayer cards somewhere. You will remember to pray for us uh, and, and for other missionaries. And uh, I, I, I think it was in the last missions conference that I was able to attend. Uh, Brother Mike Pennington was here, and he told of the pastor's mother and that she had, uh, before War Room was a, a thing, she had a place where she had prayer cards, and she would travel the world around in prayer. Praying for missionaries. So I ask you to pray for, for the, uh, the mission that God would help us. And, uh, you know, a lot of places I go, they've got a clock at the back. Thank you, brother. And uh, most of the time, there's a light situated with a glare directly on that clock. So you can say that you can't see it. But unfortunately, y'all got one even you can see. They're not on that. Oh, good. At least you didn't put them on the front. Went to a church that had three. They had the Holy Trinity of clocks, one at the back and one on each side. So the, I guess the pastor knew when it was time to cut it down. I don't know. I asked Brother Grant. I should ask children. Ask kids. They don't, they don't tell lies. Pastors, you ask them, now when do I need to finish? They say, Brother, just follow God. But if you ask a kid, they'll say, man, my pastor preaches forever. And uh, I, I, I'm going to try not to hold you too long tonight because I don't want Taco Bell to close. And I really hope we're not going there. By the way, that is not Mexican food. Just going to let you know, that is not Mexican food. But uh, I want to tell you about Roatan Island where I am a missionary. Uh, I, I uh, have traveled a, a lot of different places, not near as many as the webs, but I've traveled quite a few places. Uh, I lived in San Luis Potosi, Mexico, seven years. That's where I learned Spanish. So if I don't speak Spanish properly, uh, throw the blame on the Mexican uh, Potosinos. That's what they call them from that state, Potosinos. But uh, lived there seven years. And then we moved to Georgia, lived there for three years, had a Spanish congregation in the English church. And uh, Brother Ryan offered the sanctuary uh, for our little church and, and you know we had about five people and my family nine you know so we get together nine folks there were two or three others from the, the English church that w- would want to come try to help out can you imagine sticking nine you all fit on the front row and so we, did, we didn't do that but we had a Spanish congregation there folks would ask us how's your Mexican church doing I said, well, the Mexicans aren't coming, but the Guatemalans are faithful, the Hondurans. And, and, and there's a lot of different uh, folks that speak Spanish, and, and so we started out there. But uh, after we left Savannah, uh, we went into missionary evangelism because our family is bilingual. We can travel into countries where there are people, that uh, missionaries that are Spanish-speaking. And our, my wife played, our daughter sang, and, and we could work the altars, etc., in, in the language of the people. And that gives the pastor or the missionary a, a little bit of a break. And so we traveled around, and I was invited to a place called Roatan Island. It's, a, it's an island off the northern coast of Honduras. I was to preach a tent revival there. And the island is about 40 miles long and about four and a half miles wide. How, I don't know how big these islands where they go, but ours is, is real small. In fact, if I drove as much on our island as I drove today to go to Mentor, I, I'd be out in the ocean. And there's, there is a big connection between us and y'all. You know, you're, we're right here by the lake. And uh, so you, you keep going north, pretty soon you're going to be in water as well. But uh, Rotan Island's about 40 miles long, four and a half miles wide. People ask me, do you live by the beach? Everybody lives by the beach. 
at any given point, at any given time on that island, you're less than two or you're no more than two and a quarter miles from the beach. Somebody's beach anyway, but Rotan Island, they estimate, has about 120,000 people. I would say that is incorrect because there are, there are barrios or neighborhoods where houses are stacked upon houses. Families are, are rather large. I would probably say that we have about 180, maybe close to 200,000 people on the island. It's the most culturally diverse place I've ever lived. When we lived in San Luis Potosí, it was right center of the country. Think of, think of all right, y'all, go from California to Texas. It's rather wide, comes down narrow. We lived right in the center. Everybody that lived there was Mexican. Everybody that lived there spoke Spanish. Everybody that lived there, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it was. But on Rotan Island, uh, we have Caribbean blacks and we have Spanish people. Now, the Caribbean blacks were marooned on the island many years ago during a revolt, a slave revolt, and uh, thought that they would not survive, but they did survive. They call them Garifuna people, uh, typically. If you find a Caribbean black person, they speak English and they speak Spanish. Uh, if you see a uh, Hispanic looking person or a Spanish person, they probably only speak Spanish. So the island is by and large bilingual. Tourism is the main industry of that. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Y'all going on a cruise? If you come on a cruise and it says Honduras, you are coming to our port. There's only one port. Uh, for cruise ships in, in Honduras, and it's where we are. Uh, there are vacation rentals, VRBOs, Airbnbs, and I just want to give you a little warning. If it says Airbnb and has beautiful pictures, it may not be exactly like the pictures. We've got someone that lives two houses down, actually in between where Tabitha and Taylor and her their daughter live and where I live, there, there's, there's a house, and, and I, I looked up their Airbnb. <laughs> And it's beautiful. I mean, it's got just the right angled pictures. It shows the doc. They did a, uh, oh, uh, a TV show, something about buying homes in the Caribbean. And, and I knew that house before the owner bought it. And, they, and they're doing this show. And they, they ask on the show. And we're watching, you know. We're on our, on our porch. And we're watching as they come up the beach. And the, the new owners say, does the doc? come with the house and the, the realtor says oh yes that dock belongs to the house I said that's a black eyed lie they built that dock after they bought that house I did not know those TV people have very powerful microphones <laughs> that guy hollered cut turned and gave me a glare and I realized that meant shut up so Rotan Island's way different than anywhere else if, uh, if the pastor were to come uh, and we were to take him to Brother Ali. I've got a friend on the South Shore. Uh, his name is Ali. His dad liked boxing. <laughs> so he named him after Muhammad Ali. I'm glad he didn't name him Muhammad because Brother Muhammad just sounds a little unusual. But uh, Brother Ali's church is bilingual. And so they would say, hey, brother, go to come to Island. Why don't you preach what I got to us? And uh, Grant's been there, and uh, so or brother Grant's been there, and uh, so their service starts out something like this: it, 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 "It's good to be in the house of God." Está bueno estar en la casa de Dios because you've got your Caribbean blacks who speak English, but you've got your Spanish folks who speak Spanish. And they say, "We're going to take the prayer request this time. Vamos a recibir las peticiones de este momento. Uh, who got one prayer request this side? Quién tenía una petición de este lado?" And somebody may holler, "Hey, brother, you got to pray for my father. My mother be saying he's sick." If you don't catch that in English, you wait for the Spanish translation. And if you don't speak Spanish, you just say, Lord, you know that need, whatever it was. <laughs> so that's, that's the way that uh, things are done on the South Shore. I live on the North Shore, and uh, our services are by and large uh, um, 
Spanish services, Spanish speaking. So we're going to play a presentation in just a moment. We used to call them slideshow. I started out when they had the little round thing, you know, and you'd click and you have, you have a little jam box right there and you'd have to click it in sequence with the music, you know. We've moved up and we got movies now. I'm not passing out popcorn, but I wish I had some. Uh, or actually, I'd really like one of those big Pepsi Colas they sell. But uh, not that I know. I do have to confess, my, my pastors, did y'all, y'all had Brother E.W. Hancock here, didn't you? Brother E.W. Hancock was brother, the pastor Brother Hood worked with, and he, he preached on, uh, on TV every single service, and he preached against going, I snuck off to the movies one time, and I sat kind of over yonder way, you know, and I was sitting up against the wall, Flash Gordon. I can't remember a thing about the movie because I was praying the whole time, God, don't let Brother Hancock be outside the door when I come out. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we're going to play a movie in just a minute. It's going to show several of the uh, activities and the, the ministries in which we're involved. We go into the public schools on Rotan Island. We're invited by the directors of the schools. There's, there's uh, two municipalities on Rotan Island, and so we're invited to go into the schools. They ask us to teach life values. School there runs from February to November. And uh, so we're just about to finish our school year. If you're tired of school, come to Roatan. You'll just about be out. But uh, we, uh, we go in, we teach life values, things like honesty and kindness, etc. And I developed one program uh, with our puppets and things. And, and I taught on obedience. And as I was teaching on obedience, the teacher's standing in the back of the, of the classroom. And she's just beaming. Here's this gringo that's come in. And he's telling the kids they need to be obedient. I asked, uh, you know, to whom should we be obedient? And, and uh, someone said, Grandmama. Someone said mama And uh, most of the time they don't say dad Because they're very non-present in the lives of the children there And you got that one kid in school You know, he, he turns and looks at teacher And says teacher And you know, get, the, get all the points And, and so uh, I was teaching on obedience And then I got to the very end And I told them it is impossible To be obedient That teacher's face fell She thought what in the world This gringo's come in Said we need to be obedient But we can't and I said, until first, you allow Jesus to take control of your life. You, you can go nine steps. You can go 13 steps. However many steps it is, you can make a commitment. You can promise yourself that this is the last time. I'm never doing this again. But until you find Jesus, you'll never be able to escape the chains of sin. So we go into the public school. It's a win-win-win it's situation. We're very happy to have the opportunity. The teacher is very happy that she's not in front of her heathens. And her heathens are happy that it's not her that is droning on. We go in with puppets, etc. We have not been able to go for two years due to COVID. However, next school year in February, they have said that we may be able to go back into the public schools. So you'll see some of that, uh, I believe, on the, uh, on the slide presentation or the PowerPoint or the uh, movie, whichever we call it nowadays. And then um, when we moved to the North Shore, we, we started renting a house that's built up on stilts because uh, we're, you know, we're in the Caribbean. We have a lot of storms. There are storms going on right now. Etc. So our house is built up on stilts. I told LaDonna, I said we could have church underneath. We could live upstairs. And we started out with Kids Day. And uh, we have what we call uh, La Hora de los Niños or children, uh, a Kids Church for Children. And uh, we do puppets. We, we, uh, we dress them up in Bible costumes. We have a lot of songs. We sing Padre Abraham. Y'all sing that? You know, Padre Abraham. 
And he, anybody pick up what that is? Yeah, we sing that same song. And uh, we, we have kids at our church for children. And uh, I, I remember as a child, I would ask my mom, I'd say, when is Kids Day? You know, we have Mother's Day, Father's Day, Grandparents' Day. When is Kids Day? My mom would say, every day is Kids Day. But uh, actually, in Honduras, there is a Kids Day in Latin America. And we started out on Kids Day. And uh, so now, before... Uh, uh, COVID, we had about 40 to 50 children. Now we have about 25 to 30 children coming. We do scripture memorization, Bible stories. We tell them that Jesus saves children. We feed them and uh, and take care of them. So that's Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning. One day the kids came to me and they said, Pastor David, we want to have big people church. And I said, big people church? They said, yeah, big people church. And I said, well, we've got a couple problems. I said, if we have big people church, we're not going to sing Padre Abraham. We're going to sing hymns. They said, we like that. I said, if we have big people church we're not going to do puppets they said oh we're too sure about that one I said if we have big people church you know uh, uh, then, then uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to I thought this would get him brother Grant I said I'm going to preach to you one little boy said that's just what we need and I thought looking at him that's just what you need buddy and uh, so I, I, I said well there's one more problem with big people church they said what's that I said we have no big people so all we have is little people. And one little girl said, God's going to send us some big people. And so we started Lighthouse of Hope Church. And, and uh, there, there was a, a cocaine bust, a crack bust in our community, in our neighborhood uh, where we live. Coming in, there's, a, there's a, a house of prostitution. There's a crack house. And then you get over to where we are. And right behind the church property, there's a cantina or a bar. Behind that cantina, there's another crack house. And, and uh, so we started Lighthouse of Hope. I can't think of a better name for a church on an island than Lighthouse of Hope in a place where people are hopeless. The, the children wanted to have church and so we, uh, we were starting to have church and they did a cocaine bust and, and uh, they took a, a, a couple out of the community took, took two other women out of the community and the men's jail is in one place. The women's jail is on the far east end of the island. In America when you go to jail you get three hots and a cot. In Honduras when you go to jail you don't get any of that. They have a spigot that drips, and they have a bucket that sits under, and that's your drinking water. Uh, they have a hole in the corner. That's your toilet. And so uh, we went up to the east side of the island, and, and we visited with a, a lady, and we told her the gospel of Jesus Christ. I asked her if she ever dreamed that uh, when she was uh, younger that she'd have a child and that she'd be in jail because the other two ladies in her jail cell were a mother and a daughter. And I said, when you were plaiting her hair, did you think that you would would share a jail cell with her and I gave him the gospel and Edith gave her heart to look to the Lord and I felt a serious connection with her so we started Lighthouse of Hope Church with one big people when Edith got out of jail uh, she she knocked on the door and my first thought was oh no she's escaped and and she said pastor you remember in jail when I got saved and I said yes I do she said I'm telling you I'm gonna be at church and I'd heard that before and uh, you know you get a little jaded sometimes and I thought, we'll see. That next Sunday rolled around, and I, I, I came outside onto the deck of the house, and I heard this, and I went downstairs, and there was Edith, and she had a little broom. She was underneath the house, and she was sweeping where we have church, and she said, this is my job now, Pastor. And so she's been faithful ever since. She's, my son-in-law calls her a bulldog for Jesus. She has a friend whose name is Chayo, and she'd been inviting Chayo to come to church, and one day Chayo made the mistake of walking past the church right before it began. So Edith hooks her arm in hers, and she says, hey, Chayo, been inviting you to church. It's right here. And she jerked her, and 
and walked her right into the church. Said, sit right there. Pastor's about to start. Don't move. And so she's really working for the Lord at Lighthouse of Hope. You'll see pictures of that. Then uh, back um, several years ago now, uh, my young, oldest daughter is a pharmacy technician, and she was working at a low-income health clinic. She pulled the file up of a young lady that uh, was going to be next, and she noticed they had the exact same birthday. And Tabitha thought, wow, this is kind of neat. She's got the same birthday as me. They called this young lady's name, and as she started walking down the aisle, or the hallway there, rather, as she started walking down the hallway, she was adamantly declaring, I will not keep this baby. I do not want this child. I do not want this baby. Tabitha looked back at her file and noticed that she was 23 years old expecting her eighth child. Promiscuity and immorality is rampant. It is expected. And uh, so so the, the girls, Tabitha and Lydia, came to me later and they said, Dad, we want to start a club for girls. We want to have a club where girls can come. And so we have a girls club now. And they're seven years old and up. And uh, Tabitha's premise in teaching this club is to become a friend and a confidant of these young ladies so that when they have uh, uh, situations in their life, they have someone to whom they can go and someone upon whom they can give their burdens. And so y'all pray that the Lord would help. We've had a few success stories and we've had some failure stories. Just a, a month or two ago, a girl in our community that came to the kids hour came to the the hope in the darkness girls club delivered her first child at 12 years old the government says that the average uh, statistic of a first-time mother in Honduras the Honduran government says is 15 years old it is Tabitha and Lydia well not Lydia's now she lives in the states here but it's Tabitha's desire to to start a program to have a program so that she can hopefully break this cyclical ill of society Y'all pray for Tabitha. When she got married, her husband, of course, moved to the island. His name is Taylor. He's from South Georgia. If y'all think I sound Southern, wait till he comes. He's from South Georgia. And uh, one day, the girls' club was going on, and uh, the boys came over to me, and they said, Pastor David. That's what they call me, Pastor David. They said, Pastor David. The girls have a club. I said, that's right, boys. The girls have a club. They're about to have a club right now. They said, the girls have a club. I said, yeah, guys, the girls have a club. They're about to have. They said, you're not getting this. The girls have a club. I said, what's the problem? They said, we don't have a club. And I thought, I do not have time to start another thing. I, I don't have the opportunity. I can't. And then I remembered, I have a son-in-law. And I said to them, I said, but Pastor Taylor, he doesn't have that much Spanish. And they said, we'll help him. And so I said, great. Y'all now have a club. I started a club, went upstairs, told Taylor, hey, you got a club. There's about six boys down here that are waiting on you. And, and uh, you know what? Taylor's Spanish has improved. And the boys have a club. Now, now Taylor, he fits right in with the, the, these boys. Most of the, the boys on Rotan Island, their, their dads are non-present. They're non-active in their lives. And, and uh, you know, when you have children, uh, the, Brother Ali had a cousin that uh, by the time he was 24 years old, he had fathered 18 children. And uh, so dads are non-present. There's no, I don't know what y'all call it, defects, no department of children. No, there's no uh, uh, child support, things like that. They're, they're just on their own. Well, Taylor fits in. See, uh, when Taylor was about 16 years old, his parents were having uh, marital trouble. They went to the courts. They get a divorce. And the judge says, with whom are you going to live, son? He said, I don't, I don't want to live with one. I want to live with both. And his mother said, I don't know why you want to live with him, pointed at his dad and said, he's not your real dad. You're adopted. And that's how he found out that the man he thought was his father all his life was not his father. 
And so now when these boys come and they say, I don't have a daddy, Taylor can say, I don't either. His dad was his, his, his adopt, adoptive father was just released from prison. And uh, Taylor can, can help these boys. His premise, his idea with, kids, uh, with uh, the Hope in the Darkness Boys Club is he wants to teach boys that, number one, a real man can love Jesus. Number two, a real man will work and take care of his children. So pray that Taylor would be able to do that. In March of 21, we started Kids Kitchen of Hope. You're going to see that on these slides. And that, that started from we were, we were feeding the kids on Sunday. And I was watching kids go to the little uh, corner store. We call it a pulperia. And they were going to this little corner store. They're buying chips and Cokes. And that was their breakfast. And then lunchtime would roll around. And they'd get more junk food. Their teeth are rotting out. And, and I told LaDonna, and I said, I, I'd sure like to start a kitchen so we can feed these kids. And so now we feed kids from Sunday to Friday and uh, give them a noon meal. It's a good hot meal. Uh, nutritious and we try to keep it that way and it's tasty and 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 uh, our first premise is not to feed their belly but our first premise is 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 something i learned from brother ryan rolson and number one i want these kids to come on to our church property i want them to know that this place is a place they can be safe this place is a place they can be fed. This place is a place where they can be loved. And then we feed them. So y'all pray for Kids Kitchen Hope. One day uh, we let anybody come. One day a drunk wandered in. He sat down. We put a plate before him. And, uh, and then he got upset because one of the teenage boys had more rice on his plate than he had on him. And he began to berate those kids and, and yell at them. And our cook, that one that was in prison in jail, she came flying out of the kitchen. She had a plastic spatula and she went after him. And... Uh, she, I told her, I said, Sister Edith, you can't hit people on the church property. She said, he's not going to mess with my children. And uh, so y'all pray for us there. But then you'll also see on the, on the pictures that we go to the, the jail and we preach the gospel at the jail. We need God's help there because uh, they've changed the transition day. There is no prison on Roatan Island. They're shipped over to the mainland. So they're just held for about 30 days and we get one shot at them. But they've changed the transition day to the day they gave us. Us as the day we could go. Uh, so we get to preach to the inmates, and uh, of course, we get to preach to the jailers. So uh, that's, that's some of the things that you'll see. So, brother, if you could help me out with this presentation. Stronghold shine through the shadows, burn. 
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. So that gives you a little overview. That little fellow in the middle, his name is Davis. He's a Caribbean uh, black boy. He thinks my name is Davis. So he, he, he's a little fella, but he's a bruiser. Y'all ever met little guys? I mean, they're just a bruiser from birth. I mean, they, they're thick little fellas. And Davis would just as soon fight as to drop the hat. And he'll drop the hat just so he can fight. Well, he'll lean back and he'll say, Pastor Davis. And I said, I'm Pastor David. He said, that's what I said. <laughs> but uh, his mom started coming to church a while back, and, and she's, she's a Caribbean lady, and she said, Pastor David, you know why I start coming to church? And I said, no. She said, because they're telling lies on you. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, they're telling lots of lies on you and your son-in-law and your you daughter. And she said, so I looking at the people, and I said, if they're telling the lies, I got to go find out what this church is about. So they started coming, and uh, uh, I didn't tell y'all earlier about Tito. That's my foster boy, so he's on the prayer cards there. And uh, his real name is Jehoshaphat James Castro Antunes. Sounds like an outlaw, doesn't it? He is an outlaw. <laughs> he's an all-boy boy, and I'm very thankful for that. But uh, he, his mother had a history of abandonment, and uh, she the first time she abandoned him, he was nine months old. And uh, we, we, when we first moved into that community, he was seven. We would watch as his brothers were smoking marijuana, and they'd take that, that uh, we call it a puro, they'd take that, and they'd hand it down to him, and he'd take a big drag off it at seven years old. And uh, when they'd get down to the about so far on their beer, they'd hand that beer down to him. He'd come by as we were having kids' hour, and he'd peek through the fence, and I'd try to get him to come in. No, no, he didn't want to have anything to do with church. He was street tough. But then when we started feeding kids, I noticed he wasn't in the program, but he was seated at the, seated at the table waiting for a plate. And you know what? That drew him in. Pretty soon he was sitting on the back row watching the puppets. And, and then we started Big People Church, and he came one night. Uh, and he'd been coming uh, to a kid's hour pretty regular by then and he came and he leaned up against one of the posts holding our house up at during prayer time and afterwards he came to me he said Pastor David he said I gave my heart to Jesus and and he's been a good boy uh, or uh, he, he's been he's been a boy that that's you know he's just been a boy amen but uh, uh, he started hanging out at our house all day long and it got where LaDonna instead of asking me uh, what I wanted for lunch, she would ask Tito what he wanted for lunch. And one day he decided going home from church, he was going to flirt with a little girl. And he picked up a rock and he threw it at her. That's his way of flirting, you know. Well, she decided to flirt back and she picked a piece of metal and she threw it back. And it caught him right between his eyes. And she's a better flirter than he was. Split it open. And so we took him to the hospital, tried to get him some help. And, 
and uh, just uh, couldn't get any help. They said, you don't have any papers. Where's his papers? we got to have his papers to, to be able to treat him. So they called the bio dad. Mom was off on a, uh, a trip into the mainland. She, she would go over there, and she would spend months doing drugs and, and visiting friends and things like that. So we called bio dad and couldn't get a hold of him. Finally got a hold of him. He finally made his way down, gave the papers to his oldest son, turned around and walked out the door, never checked on his youngest boy, never asked how he was doing. And, uh, and so then uh, another time his mom had come home and uh, she was uh, sleeping a drunk off in the morning. Tito showed up at our house about 6, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, very high fever. LaDonna took him to the hospital, uh, sent me down to try to get a hold of uh, his mom. I, you know, I'm an American, so I knock on the door and there's no answer. I went back down and I told Edith, our cook, that, uh, that there was no answer. She said, I'll get a... And so she went down there and she busted in the door and there was mom, passed out drunk on the couch. And uh, she got his papers and took the mother to the hospital, got Tito treatment. And on the way back, they came to our house. And as they were standing on the deck of our house, LaDonna uh, was giving him the medication. And, and uh, the mom looked at Tito and he was probably about nine then, uh, almost nine or so. And uh, said, Tito, what do you want to do? The mother asked him. And he said, I want to live with Pastor David and Sister Donna. And so she said, okay. And she turned and she walked down the stairs. And so from then on, he's been living with us. And uh, I have custodial guardianship. Uh, Tito's prayer every night is for adoption. He wants to be adopted. He's now 13 years old. And uh, he would like to be adopted. We would like to adopt him. But uh, there's uh, a requirement by the Honduran government that both parents sign a paper at the same time, uh, at the same place to start the process. Uh, the dad finally agreed to, uh, to sign the paper. The mom has said all along she would sign the paper. However, she's now in Tijuana, Mexico, endeavoring to come to America wet. And uh, she wants to come to the U.S. We're trying to get her to come back home so she can sign the paper. So y'all pray for Tito. He's pretty quick when he moved in with me. He didn't, speak, he didn't read Spanish. And Spanish is extremely phonetic language, very easy to learn. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, I put him in school and I found out that what he'd been doing all these previous years, he'd asked to go to the bathroom. He'd go into the bathroom and climb on the tank, slide the window open and shinny up and out. And, and he's skipping school. And I, I told him when I put him in school, I said, buddy, listen, if you skip school and I catch you in the barrio, I'm going to bust your hide. I'm going to tan your hide. I didn't know. Y'all use that terminology up here. That means get a spanking. And uh, I, I didn't know if it was legal or not, but he didn't either. And so he quit skipping in school and now uh, then COVID hit we, we uh, got a tutor to come teach him Spanish and and uh, how to read. And he thought he was going to be off the hook. And I said, no, you're now going to learn English. And I got a different tutor to come start teaching him English. And one day uh, he was eating, just eating really fast. And I said, hey, buddy, slow down, man. Uh, you're eating so fast, you're going to choke. He said, Papi, you know why I eat so fast? And I said, no. And he, he threw his thumb over his shoulder and he said, at the other house. That's, that's how he refers to anything before living with me. He says, at the other house, sometimes the pot would run dry. And he said, I got to eat fast so I can get all I need. I said, listen, man, the pot's not going to run dry here. And if it does, we'll make some more. He, he, I asked him one day, uh, LaDonna and the girls were up here in the U.S. And just Tito and I were home. And I said, Tito, do you like pancakes? He said, oh, man, I love them. And so I made him some pancakes for breakfast. He stabbed them right in the middle, picked it up. And he's like, you know, looking at this, this pancake. He's trying to figure out how to get it into his mouth. And I said, hey, man, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, how do you eat this thing? I said, I thought you loved them. He said, I know I will. <laughs> so far, the only thing I found he doesn't like is black olives. 
he spit those straight out of his mouth. He said, don't put those on the pizza no more, please. <laughs> but uh, I, well, he, he got sharp, you know, he's, he's really quick, and he's learning English. And, and one day he called me David. I said, hold on, buddy, you can't, you can't call me David. And uh, I said, you, you're going to have to call me Pastor David, or you can call me Hermano David, which means Brother David. Or, or, or if you want to, you can call me Poppy, or you can call me Your Highness. He said, I can't call you that one. He's learning English. And I said, why can't you call me that one? He said, you're too short to be high. So y'all pray that the Lord would help us with Tito. And then uh, the last thing I want to tell you about before we get into the, the little bit of the word here is, is Lighthouse of Hope Church. And I can't even go into all the story, y'all. But miraculously, uh, through just various different events, the Lord provided for us this piece of property. Now, this property that we desired, it was directly across the street. It was flat. That's a very big thing on an island. It was flat, and it had a wall around it. And so I told LaDonna that I was going to pray that God would give us that piece of property. Now, y'all didn't know LaDonna like I do. Uh, LaDonna uh, said that she was a realist. Y'all know another word for realist? Pessimist. And so I would tell her she was a pessimist. I said, I want that piece of property. She said, I guess you do. I said, I'm going to start praying for it. She said, you go right ahead. <laughs> and so Tabitha and I are a team. We're the optimists. Lydia and LaDonna, they're a team. They were the pessimists. And, and so we began to pray that God would give us this piece of property. It was 110 feet by 65 feet. I heard all kinds of different numbers. But when I inquired about it, they wanted $120,000 for this piece of property. 110 feet by 65 feet. But it was in ideal. Deal per, uh, uh, place for us to have a church. And so I told LaDonna, I said, I'm going to pray that God would give us that piece of property. And uh, they told me that the church uh, uh, would be able to have the property at a lesser price. And I came to the U.S. and when they told me 120000 I told them I didn't have quite that much. Quite being a very relative term, meaning I didn't have anything. I came up here to the U.S. I began to travel. I was out there on the East Coast, and I was, I was traveling up and down preaching, and it was time to go back home. And, and so I went back to Roatan, and, and I was just about to, to head home. And Tabitha called. She said, Daddy, we got a problem. They put a, a for sale sign on your piece of property. And I, I said, oh, no, how much are they asking? And they, they lowered the, the price to $85,000. Uh, the owners uh, have some hardware stores. They needed some cash on hand, and uh, they told me I could have it for $65,000. I'd raise. 24,000 of it so I was closer but I still a very long way especially in LaDonna's eyes I was still a very long way away from it about that time COVID hit we pushed that uh, project to the back corner I told LaDonna I said we're going to have to start feeding the families of the children that come and so we got two big costales uh, what do you call those bags that you jump in in the race uh, bur burlap sacks is that what y'all call them up here I don't know we got two we had two of those and we'd fill it with groceries and in the nighttime, I'm sneaking to the houses of the children that come to church because I didn't want anybody to see a gringo with a bunch of groceries, you know, because I knew it was going to happen. And uh, so I gave out the groceries and uh, some of the folks that had children in the community that came to us said, we, our kids don't go to your, your service, but could, could you give us some food? And one day I was sweeping underneath the house. These two ladies showed up. They said, we're looking for a gringo named Pastor David. I said, look at me. I'm a gringo and my name happens to be Pastor David. And they said, we heard that you'll feed people. I said, hang on. When upstairs I got uh, one sister two bags Tito got another sister two bags and got down there and they said you know what we've got a sister and she lives right by us and she has children she doesn't have any food so I sent Tito up he got two more bags brought them down they said hey there's this one little man that lives in this shack and I said listen y'all can't even carry these groceries because they had come from the south shore so they had to come up over the mountain I said y'all can't even carry them I said tell them to come on Saturday I got up 
that morning, and we had uh, uh, we had fifty bags, uh, fifty sets of groceries, so a hundred bags of groceries. Things like ten pounds of rice, you know, ten pounds of sugar, ten pounds of, of this. I even had coffee, so people treat each other nice, you know, all that during COVID. And and uh, I looked out the window when Ladonna got up. She said, "You need to look outside." And there were a hundred and fifty people outside, and I had fifty bags of groceries. Uh, 50 sets and so they I, I gave them first to the uh, the uh, single mothers I gave them to the widows and then I gave them uh, to others and and as the as the pile got smaller they started coming in closer and closer and they were pushing against the gate they literally broke one of the hinges on the gate now I'll have to tell you it was rusted but they broke one of the hinges on the gate and so we we changed things up and we started giving 65 two bag sets of groceries every Monday every Wednesday and every Friday we take down names and ID numbers and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I don't know where that money came from. Maybe y'all sent an offering. Maybe some of you individually sent offerings. I don't know where it came from, but God provided for us to feed our community. LaDonna got the idea that every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, she'd get up and she had this big broaster pan and she'd make beans and rice or she'd make chicken and rice and we would feed a hot meal. And uh, so we were doing that. In my personal devotions one morning, I, I was praying and God began to deal with my heart about planting seeds seed and I realize sometimes folks can take that and they can you know they can twist it and they can make it into something that it's not that you can say you'll have this and you'll have that but I began to feel God deal with my heart about planting seed now I don't know how you do things but I'm just going to be honest I kind of told the Lord I said now Lord I'm a missionary I don't know that I can you know give money but God was dealing with me about our evangelists in our fellowship that didn't have anywhere to go they didn't the churches were closed and yet they still had kids to feed they still had uh, bills to pay and God started dealing with me about these evangelists and I, I said Lord I don't have a lot of money and he said just give what you can give and so I contacted five evangelists and I sent them a PayPal offering I turned around I knelt down in my chair and I don't know if this is the way you're supposed to do it but I said Lord I understand that the whole premise of planting seed is so that you can have a harvest later and I pointed to that piece of property and I said the harvest that I desire is that piece of property that's what I'm asking you for uh, a couple of weeks went by and uh, God began to to deal with me about Venezuelan uh, uh, refugees who were living in the country of Colombia. Now, you can imagine how bad Venezuela had become to, to flee to the country of Colombia. And, and so I contacted a friend of mine that I'd seen on Facebook, was preaching the gospel to Venezuelan uh, refugees in the country of Colombia. And I said, do you know some of them? He said, I was just talking to one. I said, do you uh, trust him? He said, I do. I said, I'm going to send you an offering. I want you to tell him to buy food and to give to his people. That man sent me a WhatsApp back, pictures of him feeding people that were Venezuelan I turned around I knelt down I said God you said to plant seed in people that I did not know I've planted seed in people that I do not know people that I have not come in contact with people I may never meet but the harvest I'm asking you to give me is that piece of property I felt like God began to deal with my heart to go and to offer $25,000 now remember they started asking at the first 120 and I felt like God dealt with me to get, uh, to offer 25000 and so I, I again I don't know how you do it maybe you're great prayer warrior but I just said now Lord I said Lord don't you know <laughs> if I offer them 25,000 when they told me 65 was the price for the church they'll laugh at me they'll, they'll throw me out of the building and, and so uh, God continued to deal with my heart I finally said all right I'll go and just as I was about to go brother Brian the Lord said they will reject your offer 
I said, well, you know, how about we say we did? And we, you know, you know, we, and the Lord said, no, go. And so I finally went. I was talking to Mr. Frank. He was the, the man that was overseeing that property for his mother-in-law. And I told him I wanted to make an offer. You know, you, uh, you, you may. And he said, well, how much you want to offer? I said, I, I said, I would like to offer you. I couldn't get it out. I was so embarrassed. I said, I'd like to offer you 25000 He got up. He turned around and started messing with his coffee machine. I saw his shoulders. They were shaking. He put his hand over his mouth. I said, see, Lord, he's laughing at me. He turned back around. He said, Pastor David, he said, I don't know if Miss Deborah can accept 25000 but how about we just tell her? I said, that's a good idea. I headed down his stairs. I said, see, I told you so. I was so embarrassed. My face had to have been red. Four uh, days later, Mr. Frank called me and said, Miss Deborah said, let's do this. Let's give 25000 cash, and I'll give you a year to pay 25000 more, and we'll call it even. I knew I could call Grant and get a thousand bucks. And so I called a friend of mine on the island. His name's James Jeremiah. And I said, Brother James, I said, they want to sell it. They got 25 down. I got 24 and, and 25 in a year. And he said, Brother, that one good deal you don't buy it, I'm going to do it myself. You know, James, I said, uh-uh. I said, I'm buying the property. So I wrote a $25,000 check. That may be commonplace for you, but I had never done it in my life. My hand was shaking. I wrote that check. Y'all know what Wells Fargo did? They kicked it out as fraud. <laughs> they said, you've never written a $25,000 check and never done it in Honduras. I said, no, this is real, I'm telling you. And they said, all right. So they put it through. I put out on social media that I had one year to raise $26,000. You know, I took taken 1000 of my own uh, money and put it in there. And uh, I said, we, I had one year to raise $26,000. Y'all, almost instantly, I kid you not, almost instantly, my PayPal started going, ba-ding, ba-ding. And I don't know what you do with PayPal, but when I get one, I slide that thing straight in the bank before anybody changes their minds, you know. And so I started sliding over $50. I tell LaDonna, hey, they gave $75, or so-and-so gave $50. This church gave $500. She said, you're a long way from $26,000. And uh, in, in four weeks and a few days, $26,000 came in. And I was able to purchase that piece of property free and clear. And then we started doing groundwork and... We came out to the U.S. and, and uh, my youngest daughter was going to have our first grandchild. LaDonna and she contracted COVID. And uh, my wife passed away with COVID August 11th. Somebody set up a, a uh, memorial fund for LaDonna at my home church. And I went back, I went back down to Honduras uh, several, some months later. We started bringing in dirt, and we started doing concrete work. And, and I'm just going to tell you, as honest as I can be, I was kind of mad. I'd look at that foundation, and I'd say, Lord, how come? Why did she have to die to get it started? And I struggled with that, Brother Jones, for quite a while. I struggled with it. But I called a friend, and he said, David, let's, he said, how about we look at it like this? Your wife was a godly lady. She was faithful. She loved people. LaDonna had a love for the drunks in our community. She'd never been around that. Both her grandparents were pioneer pastors. And, but she loved those drunk guys. She'd, she'd hug them. And, and she, she'd get them soap. She'd get them food. And, and uh, he said, let's look at it this way. That foundation that we're laying and everything we build, let's say that we're building on the legacy that LaDonna lived. 
And so now when I, when I look at that church, I, I can see it differently. I can see it differently. I can see that this is the life that she lived. This is what she would have wanted. And so we, we, had, we built the, the first floor. I was going to build a two-story structure. And uh, through a, a, another miracle, a financial miracle, uh, I received an offering at a church of $24,299. And, uh, and so I was able to pour the concrete ceiling of the first floor, which is the floor of the second. And I decided when I was able to do that, I'll go three floors. And so the Lord's helped us and... Uh, and now Tabitha and Taylor are going to move into the third floor. And that's going to be their home. But uh, I'm so thankful that God sees the things that we have need of. Even before we need them. Even before we know about them. He knows how to do that. And so the theme of our church is. Uh, una iglesia donde todos tal como son. Encuentran un Dios que los levanta tal como él es. Which is uh, in English it is that we are a church. Where everyone just as they are can find a God who will lift them just as He is. Because you see, church, God doesn't want to just save us where we are, but He wants to bring us out of that to where He is so we can have communion and fellowship. Amen. Now, I, I did ask a particular individual what time uh, things normally got over with, and, uh, and he did tell me the time, so I don't have much. But I want us to read in Acts chapter number 5, verse number 41. If you can turn there, that's fine. If not, I'm going to go ahead with it. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ the song for the presentation is I speak Jesus, Amen. Language is a very in interesting study, and if you think about uh, you think about Pentecostal vernacular and uh, the, the the song that we sing, "The Son Hath Made Me Free." It starts out, I, "I was once in Egypt's bondage." Now, can you imagine a person coming in here for the very first time? You've invited them from work; they're sitting beside you, and you start just uh, with all your gusto, you start singing, "I was once in Egypt's bondage," and they look at you. You were. But deliverance set me free. I'm living now in Canaan. In Canaan, I thought this was Ohio. Vernacular. Words. Had a, had a young man move to the island. Uh, his sister goes to Granite. Brother David Brim's church. And this, this young man moved, moved to Roton Island. And, and if there's anybody more different than me in the world, I, I don't know who it'd be. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an East Texas country boy. And uh, he's from the city, uh, Granite City, Illinois. He's got dreadlocks. He had a grill. Thank the Lord. He left that thing in the U.S. when he came down, uh, you know, to Roton. And he's a chef and he's a good cook. And, and I, I went to see him. His, his sister said, would, would you please just go meet my brother? You know, and I'm thinking, Man, this is a miraculous thing right here. This guy happened to pick one island in the Caribbean, and it's the island on which I live. His sister goes to Granite City, and, and uh, the only two times that he'd ever, as far as we know, been to a Bible-believing church was at, at her graduation and at her wedding. He cried through both of them. And I, I go to meet him, and, and, and here's Vic, tall, thin. Like I said, he's a lot different than me. And uh, he's got dreadlocks, and, and uh, he, he talks different than I do. And, uh, and, and as I was walking across the dock... Uh, he has a little restaurant on, on a dock. As I was walking across the dock, my feet stubbed. You know, I, my, my toe hung up in, in, in the dock. And I said, hey, man, sorry about that. I, I, I'm wearing sandals. And uh, I, I wear boots most of the time. But when, when you're on the island, boots are way too hot. And, and he looked at me and said, no, man, your shoes are bussing. I said, they're, they're what? 
He, he said, no, he said, you should use your busing because you don't want to be all bougie or nothing. He said, your drip is good for an island, dude. Uh, I, I, I could, I'm, uh, can you repeat that? What bus did we ride, the Greyhound? Or? And so he, he thinks we have an orphanage. And it's really just a kid's feeding program. But he says, I love y'all's orphanage. He says, y'all slaying at your orphanage. I said, no, we're not. <laughs> Bet. He, he looked at me and said, bet. And then my mother came down. She's 80 now. She went parasailing at 80 years old. He said, bro, your mama's savage. I thought, you don't even know, man. He said, she's a gangster. That's tight. I'm trying to figure this out, you know. I'm, I'm about to be 55 years old. I couldn't speak that. I'll tell you one thing I do speak. I speak Jesus. Amen. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I think about a young man whose name is Jose. LaDonna found Jose. The reason LaDonna found Jose is because Jose was a drunk and a druggie. His real dad left him when Jose was little. Jose smoked crack cocaine for the first time in his life when he was nine years old. He started on crack cocaine. He stole from everyone in the barrio. He took things so he could, uh, he would steal sheets and, and clothes and sleep out on the pier just so he could get another hit of drugs. And, and uh, I, I want to speak hope into the life of Jose. Say the Bible said, "Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden." One morning, I, I opened the front door, and there stood Jose. He said, "There was a voice spoke to me last night in the night. Said, go to Pastor David, and he'll find you some help. I happen to know about a new drug rehab that had opened, and I paid for Jose to go to the drug rehab. He gave his heart to the Lord. He dried up. He cleaned up his life. He, he, he completely changed. You ever met a druggie that they're, they got right with God? It's like their whole exterior, interior, everything." thing completely changes but then COVID hit and they had to release all these guys out onto the street and today Jose's back in that same condition hopeless helpless and he needs Jesus Christ church I want to speak hope into the life of Jose I speak the love of Jesus John 15 13 says greater love hath no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends that he give up what is his for others and uh, I want to speak the love of Jesus you see when someone gives their life for us that is the greatest act of love I think about a young girl that comes to our church her name is Nicole and uh, I was not there I was here in the U.S. at that time and Nicole went to Tabitha. She had been coming to Kids Hour. She'd been coming to the club. And Nicole came to Tabitha. And she told Tabitha that her father had been violating her for many years. Uh, and Nicole was uh, uh, Nicole's like the Cinderella of the family. She's not really that man's child. Uh, she's not really his uh, woman's child. But uh, that man took her in and, and, and raised her. And, and this, uh, this stepmother raised her. And, and she's the one that cleans, takes care of all the kids and Nicole just wants to feel like somebody loves her for who she is that somebody cares about her for who she is and so uh, we, we, we have wrapped our arms around Nicole she's now 17 and, uh, and when I give an altar call she'll 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 listen as I preach and, and and you can tell it's resonating with her but when I give the altar call she won't come to the altar because she says I can't forgive I can't get over it 
it. And church, I want to tell you that we need to show them the love of Jesus, even in hard situations, in the unfathomable, unfathomable situation in which she grew up many, many years. Uh, I want her to know that that is not love, but God loves her with an unfailing love. It's Nicole's greatest desire to feel love. Finally, I want to speak redemption. Amen. Redemption through Jesus. 1 Peter 1.18 For as much as we know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Wouldn't it be easy if we could go to an ATM machine every time a sinner comes down to the altar? Wouldn't it be easy if we could cash in a CD or an annuity every time there's a sinner that comes to the altar? But the Bible says we weren't redeemed with silver and gold from our vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I I told you all a lot tonight about a certain lady that she was in drugs. Uh, She sold drugs. Her family sold drugs. In fact, her oldest daughter was found macheted to death because of drugs. Uh, And uh, I went to visit this lady in the jail and I told her about the Lord. She gave her heart to God. She's now the cook at Lighthouse of Hope. Her name is Edith. Uh, And and, uh, it means Iris. And uh, Iris went from dealing crack cocaine to dealing Jesus. She tells people that I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to money. I was a slave to drugs. But God has redeemed me. Brought me out. This morning, Brother Paulman said that he's learned that missionaries are just regular folks. Amen. If someone could come to the piano and... And we are just regular people. I, I grew up in East Texas, three sisters, uh, two sisters my mom took in for certain periods of time of their life. Dad left us, just, just regular life. But you know what? Somewhere along the way, the Lord got a hold of my heart. Amen. And God, I, I like people. And I, and I talk to people everywhere that I am. I, I meet people in the airport. I, my, my, my wife said, you, you could run into somebody you know in the middle of the painted desert. And that actually happened one time driving out uh, toward Arizona. I, I ran into a guy going to Figby with uh, right in the middle of a pull-off in the painted desert. But folks, I just like people. And, uh, and as I was driving around your community, not my community, not where I live, I, I'm going to be going home pretty soon and I, I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. But you know what? You are where you're supposed to be. And, and, and I looked around and, 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 and I looked it up and I, I passed the Sam's Club on the way to church and, and I passed the Sheets gas station and uh, I, I passed grocery stores. And, and this morning on my drive, I passed houses with little tight toys out front. Uh, I, I passed houses that uh, they were ramshackle and run down and the grass was grown up uh, but it was obviously somebody still living there and, and I said God help us to, to have a love help us to speak Jesus unto people uh, you know we could talk about Mohammed and people join in with us we could talk about Buddha and people join in with us but it seems that when we talk about Jesus people get irritated it's because that sin in their life uh, begins to stir around and that hateful devil 
that is controlling their life begins to stir around. But I am glad that one day, even as a boy raised in the house of God, I found an altar where I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I've gone through some difficult things. I've passed some hard trials. I'm in the midst of some. But I want to tell you, church, I've got Jesus. I don't know what to say when I witness Brother Trawick. I don't know what to tell him. Tell them Jesus. That's it. That's all. Amen. Could we stand tonight? I'm sorry, Grant. I went four minutes too far. I do this sometimes, a lot of times, when I go to churches. I'm going to ask you two questions. I want you to physically raise your hand if you're able. Amen. How many of you know somebody that desperately needs to be saved? I mean, it's almost tragic right now. It's it's a bad situation. You really love them. I I realized as I went across the country asking this question, I realized that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's a guy at work. Maybe it's someone you went to school with years ago, but in all likelihood, it's someone that you're related to. Someone you love very much. The last person you want to see go to hell. I'm going to ask another question. How many of you will do your best within this next year? All through 2024, you'll do your best to try to win that soul to the Lord. Amen. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that they're going to be here. I guess y'all probably do Wednesday night. I'm not guaranteeing they'll be here Wednesday. Maybe they will. You'll start off ahead. But what if, through the course of this year, I could show them God's love? What if I could give them hope? (laughs) What if I could show them redemption, being bought back into the fold? Could we bring that person to the front, to the altar, however you want to do, stand, kneel? I don't know your custom, but you know who God put on your heart. I want you to bring that person. Come on, church. Let's find a place up here and let's bring that person. And say, Lord, you, you know where Jimmy lives. God, you know where uh, Ty, uh, Ty, Ty lives. God, you know where Sally lives. Lord, I want you to help me to win that soul for you.